0: In that Old Testament story, the people of Israel, God's people, uh, were being challenged. Are you going to worship the idols of your age, like the God Baal, God with a small g? He wasn't really a God. Or are you going to worship God? Are you going to follow God? And we have idols in our age as well. And they manifest themselves throughout the ages in different ways, but it's normally to do with wealth and possessions, or sex, or the satisfaction of our bodily appetites, or it's to do with uh, I don't know, pride, somebody noticing us, or fame, or fortune, whatever. all of these are gods of our age, plus many other things as well. There's the God of self, and we are challenged in every age. Are you going to follow them? Are you going to worship them? Or if the Lord is God, follow him. If Jesus is Lord, follow him. And we've been looking in recent weeks, or what it actually means to follow Jesus. And I want to suggest to you that before we can look at that, are we going to follow Jesus? There's two other questions that we need to look at. And they're in a passage that actually um, sorrow was... Um reading to us last week. When she started reading the passage from the Bible when she was speaking, I thought, gosh, she's she's stolen my passage. I'm gonna speak from that Bible passage today. But that's okay because she brilliantly brought something else out of it. She showed us how when we're following Jesus we can encourage and invite others to come and follow with us. I just want to use um the first part um of that passage. But before I do, I want to ask you a question. The question is this: why are you here? Why have you come this morning? I want to ask those who are online, why have you logged on this morning? You might be thinking, well, that's a bit rude. I'll log off. No, please don't log off. <laughs> Stay with us. Bear with me let, me. let me get even a little bit more personal. <clears throat> what gets you up in the morning? What do you want? What motivates you? What matters most to you? If you were to get all that you desired or what you really desire, what would that look like? for you. i want going to think about that as I speak this morning and as I read from this Bible passage first. I hope I can read it from there. I'm going to have to read it from here. Let me see. Do you want to put the Bible passage up for me, please? Oh, no, I'm doing it. I'm do- I beg your pardon. I've just remembered I've got the controls. I-, <laughs> I have this illusion that I'm in control sometimes, you know, and then Dan goes and puts that thing on for me. Yeah, so okay. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. That's John the Baptist. And as Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there, pointing at Jesus, is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? come and see he said it was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying and they remained with him the rest of the day it's it's a strange because this is about the first followers of Jesus and as they start following him Jesus asked this question I'm going to say this is an important question I want us to look at today what do you want now, it's a funny thing, because you could almost imagine when you read that, Jesus was sort of turned around and saw two guys following him and said, what do you want? What do you want? Are stalking me or something? And, and those guys kind of a little bit, uh, oh, gosh, this is, this is the Lamb of God. This is, this is the one whom Moses spoke about. This is, this is possibly the Son of God. What, what, what do we say? And, and they got a little bit tongue-tied and thought, oh, uh, 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 where do you live? <sighs> it's a bit like saying, do you come here often or something? You know, it's like oh, it's a Lamb of God, and I just said, where do you live? But no, I don't think it is. I think these are very important questions, really important questions. The question that Jesus asked of those first followers, what do you want? What do you desire? And then the, desi- the, the question that they ask of Jesus, where do you live? We, we want to be where you are. They went and spent the rest of the day with him. So I want us to look at those two questions this morning. I'm going to change them slightly. I'm going to suggest we look at the question, first of all, what do you want? And then we look at the question, change slightly, where will you live? What do you want and where will you live? And I'm suggesting that the first question addresses the issue of our desires and the second question addresses the issue of our choices. And both are really, really important when it comes to following Jesus. So let's look at the first question. What do you want? Now, St. Augustine, or Augustine of Hippo, as he's called, who lived in about the 4th century, is one of the towering figures in the history of Christianity. He shapes a lot of what we think are as Christianity, both for good and some for bad, but mainly for good. He is really a massive figure in the history of Christianity. And he was a guy who, well, is a young man and well into his 30s, he was chasing meaning and satisfaction and fulfillment of life in, in, in different things. He, he, he chased it in sexual uh, intimacy, he, he chased it in uh, knowledge and learning, particularly. He <clears throat> chased it to some extent in lit, um, religious experience. But he came to the conclusion be, he became a Christian and realized that all the time he had been looking for God. And the most famous quote that um, if you've been a Christian for a while, you will have heard at some point. It's well quoted. He, he wrote it in his, uh, what's called the Confessions, his spiritual autobiography. He wrote this as a prayer to God. You have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you i'm going to be even a little bit ruder now asking you those personal questions earlier i'm going to tell you i know your answer what do you desire what do you want you want to know the god who created you And you want to have a relationship with him. You want to know and be known by him. To love and be loved by the God who is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. How do I know that? There's a prophecy of Jesus in the Old Testament that describes him as the desire of all nations. That means any people in any place at any time who have ever lived have had a desire to know God through Jesus Christ. Even the most ardent atheist has a longing and a desire in their heart for God. Have you ever wondered why some of the most ardent atheists want to spend all their time arguing about why he doesn't exist and arguing against him, this God who doesn't exist? It's because they're trying to push down a desire that they have in their heart. Every one of us desires to know God. However, there's a problem that we all face. And I was reminded of it when I came across this little cartoon on Facebook the other day. You all see that? The mind body. We all experience this. <laughs> we would probably call it, as Christians, we would probably call it the flesh spirit problem. You know, Jesus said to us, you know, your, your spirit is willing, but your flesh, and as your body, your appetites, the impulses, your emotions, they're weak. If the, the flesh, sorry, the, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I really like Eugene Peterson's version of that. He says, there is part of you that is eager ready for anything in God and there's part of you that's like a lazy old dog sleeping by the fire and we all know it don't we we all know that kind of pull of the flesh and the spirit we all know just in a very trivial way you know we really know we ought to stick to that diet that we decided we were going to keep to but that chocolate cake looks so nice I I don't know none of these relate to me of course I just just but I, I knew some of you might relate to it you know that chocolate looks so nice and it's not that bad to have four pieces is it no it's I, uh, you know there's you know you should go out for a, that walk or that run to get fit but ugh, it's so warm and cozy and now the nights are drawing in so maybe not you know probably you really want to go and spend time praying and seeking God and reading the Bible and just being with him and and, oh, you want to know what happens on that next episode of that thing you're watching on Netflix at the moment. Yeah, let's see what happens. Or maybe a bit more seriously, you know you want to have, you need to have that important but difficult conversation with your work colleague. But you keep on putting it off and doing other things to distract you from it. You know, the, the spirit, there's a part of us that's willing. And there's a part of us that's weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I was thinking about all of this recently uh, when I came ac- across a quote from John Mark Comer. John Mark Comer has been somebody that many of us have been helped in this whole issue of following Jesus, the, following the way of Jesus, of spiritual formation, it's really good stuff. I was listening to something he, he was saying about this whole issue of the flesh and the spirit. And he wrote this, and it just stayed with me. I can't get it out of my head. And I want you to, I want you to think about this. If you, don't, if you don't remember anything else that I shared this morning... Remember this," he says. "This your strongest desires are not your deepest desires. Your strongest desires are not your deepest desires. Whatever, however, you might be being pulled and pushed around by certain desires, the flesh, the self. You, there's a longing in you to know God. To follow Jesus." to love him, to become more like him, to, to live the life that he's called you to, to become the person that he's created you to be. That's your deepest desire. And you know, it, it comes out in some very real ways for us. We can have a strong desire to, to nurture that, that anger and that resentment and that, that bitterness. We feel that person who hurt us and offended us so much so that we can even find pleasure in just nurturing that resentment. Resentment. But deep down, we want to know the joy of forgiveness, of of forgiving that person, releasing that person, of overcoming evil with good, of just being able to bless them. That's your deepest desire. You know, you might have that desire for the next fix, or to crack open the next bottle. But deep down... You want to live clean and you want to live free and you want to to, to flourish in life as you walk with Jesus. You want a a big desire to, to really work hard at work and you're willing to have all the stress and to work long hours just to show people how good you are and that you're really worthy. But deep down, you want to slow down and just walk with God. And yes, do your job well and faithfully but not at the expense of your soul deep down you just want to walk with him your strongest desire is not your deepest desire whatever you might desire on that level of the flesh there's a deep desire and discipleship connects you to your deepest desire following Jesus draws out your deepest desire but we have this problem where we can feel pulled, conflicted. Paul knew about this. There's a famous passage, of course, he writes about in Romans chapter 7. Paul, by the way, if you're new to all this, he was like the early church leader uh, who wrote a good chunk of the New Testament inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he wrote in Romans chapter 7, he says, you know, I want to do good, but I also find this work there's something working in me where I do the bad stuff as well and I don't do what I want to do and I do what I don't want to do. He knows about this pull of the strongest and the deepest and the flesh and the spirit. So how do we solve that problem? How do we deal with that? We all know about it. How do we deal with that? Well, I think then comes in the second question. Where will you live? Where will you live? Did you notice... In that passage that we read at the beginning, it said those disciples went with him to the place where he was staying and they remained with him the rest of the day. And that's this very word that Jesus used in John 15 when he says, remain in me and I will remain in you. How about remaining in Jesus, not just till the end of the day, but all our days, till the evening, the sunset of our lives to remain with him. I love the way, again, Eugene Peterson Translated, he puts it like this, he says, live in me, make your home in me, just as I do in you. What you desire should determine where you choose to live. Alison and I have been thinking about, for quite some time now, about moving house. Very frustrating thing, moving house. We can't find, quite find a place that we Want and that's the thing is you have to you have to first start with what do you want before you can choose the right house. So if, what, what are we looking for? What what would we like? What would we desire? Is it to, is it a place where we can have lots of people around? Something that really practice hospitality? Or is it a place where we can just escape from everyone and everything? You know, and then that cottage on the Hebrides looks really inviting. You know, <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> that's the introvert in me. We're not moving to the Hebrides. Yet. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, what you desire affects a choice where you live. You see, you can live, there's some emotional spaces that you can occupy, that you can inhabit. And people do. You can occupy resentment and bitterness. I mean, you can actually live there. I don't recommend it. You could live in regret. And despair of what might have been? You can live in worry and stress as you're trying to achieve. There's all those kinds of emotional spaces that we could live in. But we are invited to make our home in him. And rather than uh, occupying or inhabiting those spaces, I encourage you to get really intentional and really deliberate and make a choice to make your home in Jesus, as well as emotional spaces, which could be determined by experiences, could be determined by your family of origin, whatever it might be, but you're given a new opportunity to have a new home in Jesus. But there are also cultural spaces. You see, we all do, we cannot help but live in a cultural space. Um, We live in the world. But again, Eugene Peterson, he puts it like this in his translation of a verse in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourselves cozy in it. Don't make yourselves cozy in it if we get too comfortable with the world, and when I talk about living in the world, I'm not talking about the natural world, I'm not talking about society and all the good things that we can do as citizens of the world, I'm not talking about that, all the great, in fact, actually, some of the creative things that we do in the world can be a way of connecting with God, can be a way of making your home in him. You know, go for a walk in nature, use the gifts that God has given you to create something, that's good. I'm talking about the values of this world, the principles of this world. And, there's a verse in the Bible which says, speaking of God, in him we live and move and have our being. And some wit many years ago offered an alternative translation or an alternative version. He said, in television we live and move and have our being. Today we could probably say, in the internet and social media, we live and move and have our being. Now I'm not saying any of those things are bad in themselves but they do mediate to us certain values that are of the world, but not of the kingdom. In the very same passage where Jesus says, remain in me, make your home in me. He says, listen, the world hates me. It's going to hate you too. Because there are values and principles of this world. I don't want to get in an argument with anybody about them, But let me just give you one example, which you could probably all agree with. The world would say, you know what? It's all about me. It's what I want. It's what I choose. I've got my rights. Nobody can tell me what to do. that's, That's a way of thinking in the world. But it's not true of the kingdom. It's not of the way of the kingdom, and it's not of the way of Jesus. And it's actually becoming increasingly challenging sometimes to live in the way of Jesus in our world, in our culture. This is why, interestingly, John Mark Comer, who I quoted earlier and has been a help to many of us, his most recent book, um, which I'm just reading at the moment he's just brought it out is called Live No Lies because he says we must realise we do have an enemy to our soul and Jesus calls him the father of lies and he basically says the world or the culture in which we live is basically where those lies have become normalised and sometimes even weaponized. Okay? they they, they, say they just become accepted so you're, you're a kind of a bigot or you're an idiot if you don't kind of go with them. And I'm not, by the way, saying this to get us involved in the culture wars. We've spent a whole series this year saying the answer to the world being against God's ways is not to put up our walls. We bring our walls down. We just make sure we put our roots down in God as well. So I'm not encouraging us to fight the world it's all against us. We're gonna, I'm not encouraging that. But I am pointing out to you. There is a battle for our hearts and minds. And it is our hearts first, actually. Because normally, when if you've been around a number of, time, number of years as a Christian, and you think about this not conforming to the ways of the world, the passage you'll probably go to is, again, one of Paul's, Romans chapter 12, where it says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. A newer version says... Become a different person by changing the way you think. That's great. And your thinking, what goes on in your mind, is really, really important. But did you notice in that Romans 12 passage, just before the business about the renewal of the mind, there's something about worship. It says, offer your bodies as living sacrifice. This is your spiritual act of worship. So actually, we've got to, before we deal with the minds, we've got to deal with the heart. One of the foremost authorities on Augustine, who I was talking about earlier, is a guy called Jamie Smith, and he wrote, he's written a number of books about this. Um, one's called Desiring the Kingdom. Um, another is called You Are What You Love. I don't read many books, I just read a, read a lot of book titles, that's all I do. But, and maybe a little summary on Kindle. Um, I just, but, so I give you the appearance I read a lot of books. But he, the title of his book is You Are What You Love. And he says, Before we are learners, we are lovers. Before we are thinkers, We are worshipers. And the culture is trying to get us at the point of our desires and our hearts. It'll get us desiring after stuff. It'll get us desiring after sex. It'll get us desiring after fame or a good reputation or people approving of you. It'll get you in your heart before it'll get you in your mind. And so worship, this is why worship is so important. Because worship draws out the deepest desires. The culture the cultural space that we could occupy and to some extent we inevitably do occupy will appeal to our strongest desires. But in the place of worship, it's our deepest desires that are being drawn out. We say with the psalmist, um, what is it the psalmist says? I will dwell in the shelter of the Most High and abide in the shadow of his wings. Why his wings? Because he's always on the move, and I always want to be where he is. Make the Lord your home. The way we live by our deepest desires rather than our strongest desires is we choose to live in him, making the Lord our home. As the musicians come back to lead us in worship, let me just finish with this. I love the Apostle Paul, I think he's fantastic. I just really warm to the Apostle Paul. Maybe I'm a Well, I was a little bit like him. I mean in temperament, not in his intellectual genius and his spiritual maturity. I mean, um, you know, I'm I'm a bit passive-aggressive like him, I think. That's what it is. But um, he's great as um, uh, the Apostle Paul. I mean, just things like he experiences what it is to be beaten and imprisoned and whipped and stoned nearly to death and yet still say these are light and momentary troubles compared to the surpassing, you know, the glory that will be revealed. He, a guy. I've never read of a guy who lives so much in the light of eternity. I love the Apostle Paul. I would follow the Apostle Paul, but it's okay. You're getting worried about me. You know, you're meant to follow Jesus. But he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus. I think if I follow Paul's example, I'll get pretty close to Jesus. But of course, I want to follow Jesus. But anyway, why do I say that? He answers this question. What do you want? So let me tell you what I want. What I really, really want. <laughs> I want, like Paul says, he puts it like this. Have I forgotten something here? I think I'm Asking these two questions. He says this, I want to know Christ and to be found in him. Where's Paul? Oh, I don't know. Where do you see him last? Has he disappeared again? Oh, I know where he'll be. Just find where Jesus is and then you'll find Paul. Because I want to be found in him. My friends, I want to encourage you, discipleship, following Jesus, connects you to your deepest desires. If you're going to allow yourselves to learn to live, and and it's a struggle sometimes. I stumble on the way all the time, so I'm like you. But if we want to learn to live by our deepest desires, and not just our strongest desires, or maybe for our deepest desire to become the strongest desire, we need to make the Lord our home, to live in him, so that when people come looking for us, they know where to find us. Amen. Amen? Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand. I just want to pray with you and for us. And then we'll just worship him some more. Because he is our deepest desire. Lord, forgive us when we've too readily bowed to the idols of our age. Forgive us when we've allowed those idols to cause us to live by our, the strong desires, the flesh, the self. Help us Lord to live by what we know to be our deepest desire which is to know you to love you to follow you to become like you to live the life you've called us to live to become the people you've called us to be. Help us Lord. We choose to make our home in you to give our time and our attention to you. And help us now as we worship because worship And your presence is not just a place that we visit, but it's a place where we're called to live, to abide. Help us to do that every day, Lord. Amen.